beautiful day. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm glad to see you today. My name is Kyle. I serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I want to say thank you. I'm glad that you're here today, and uh, I pray that uh, you enjoy your time. But uh, anyway, we are here to uh, now in this moment to hear from God's Word, uh, to hear it preached and taught, and uh, we're going to seek the Lord in aligning ourselves to it. And so here in a moment, I'll pray and ask Him to help us with that. But before I do, I wanted to uh, just kind of catch you up a, briefly on where we're at. We're in the middle of a series uh, that had an extended break back in the fall, and we picked it back up uh, early spring now. And uh, But the series is called What Happens When We Worship. And what we're looking at is what takes place when we come together for the worship of God. What is What's going on in the service? And so when we say worship, we're not talking about like the modern kind of cultural understanding of what worship is, which is typically just the music portion of a service. We're talking about the entire service. What's taking place from beginning to end uh, in this worship service? Uh, we've uh, touched on so many of the theological truths, the deep truths of what's taking place, like things uh, where we've said, you know, we're created to worship, and so we're always worshiping no matter what we're doing. We're worshiping something. We're either worshiping God or we're worshiping an idol. Um, now, you might not be bowing to some carved image that you've created, but by your life, you are submitting to uh, ultimately either God or Satan. And so you are always worshiping in that way. Uh, another thing that we've talked about in this series is that when we come together, we are meeting with God. We are, we're truly coming to meet with God. Hebrews 12 teaches us that we've not come to uh, Mount Sinai. We've not come to something that can be touched. We've not come to, um, you, you know, it's not about, it's not only about the physical elements that are in play here. It's not about an instrument. It's not about, uh, it's not only about, I should say, instruments or holding God's Word in our hand or those kinds of things. Those, those aren't what make worship worship. They're tools for our worship. They're, um, and, and God's Word certainly is the most effective tool for our worship. That's why we want to sing songs that are about His Word. We want to pray prayers that are from His Word uh, we want to, or that are informed by His Word. And we want to preach from His Word, right? So that our hearts and our minds and our souls are aligned with the Word of God and all that we're doing in a worship service. But the most important fact going on in a worship service is that God has truly come to meet with us, and we are meeting with Him when we worship, and so that's a really amazing thing. So you can step back and you can look through uh, our archives and our sermons and, and listen to some of those, those lessons if you haven't, but what we've been doing for the last several weeks now is looking at each element of worship. And so we've talked about preaching, we've talked, we're going to talk about singing, we're talking today about the Lord's Supper, we've talked about our call to worship. Um, and so uh, today, again, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. And essentially, uh, well, the title we've picked for this is The Feast of Fellowship with God. So the, the Feast of the Lord's Supper is meant to be fellowship, a reminder of our fellowship with God and a reminder of our fellowship with one another. But I want to put this big idea before you. Uh, through the Lord's Supper, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, hope, and love in the finished work of Jesus Christ as believers really and truly feast on Him. So the, through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, hope, and love in the finished work of Jesus Christ as believers really and truly 
feast on him. I'm going to explain that as we go along today. But for now, I'd like for you to stand if you're able as we read the word of the Lord. When I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I ask that you respond. Thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I maybe didn't tell you that yet, so I'll give you a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start reading in verse 23, and we'll read through verse 29. All right, I'll start now. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, um, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we humble ourselves now as we come to it. We ask, Lord, that you would instruct our hearts and our minds, that we would, uh, that our faith would be strengthened, uh, that our faith would go down deep, Lord, that it would bear uh, great fruit. And so, Lord, would you give us hearts today that are good soil, as Christ taught, hearts that are receptive to your word, that are eager to learn from you and from your counsel, uh, to seek your face and to be instructed by you. And so, Lord, I am merely an instrument in your hands, as we talked about last week, that this sermon is not uh, about me, it's about your word. And so I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me to your people, that you would edify their hearts, that you would instruct them, correct where we need correcting, Lord, and so that we might be mature followers of your Son, Christ Jesus. Uh, We are powerless without the Holy Spirit for this work, and so we ask, Father, that your Spirit... Uh, dwell richly in us now as we study your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, from the beginning of creation, the pattern of worship uh, culminates in feasting. Before the fall, you have Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, in the garden, and they were supposed to be able to eat from a tree called the tree of life and live forever. This is part of the reason they were kicked out of the garden after they disobeyed God by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God says, it is not good for man to be this way. Uh, Let's remove him from the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. The problem would be that they would live forever in this condemned state. And so God removes them from the garden. uh, and, and, And so what we see later in Scripture is that the gift of feasting feasting doesn't come to an end, Uh, that worship involves eating. Worship involves feasting with God. In fact, when Christ returns and His people dwell with Him in the new heavens and new earth, uh, the crowning joy of the redemption of all things in that moment will be a feast with 
Christ. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And even the book of Revelation tells us that the tree of life will give life to God's people once again in Revelation 22 verse 2. And so the emphasis is on eating, but why is there an emphasis on eating? Well, because our God is a God of communion. Our God is a God of fellowship, we might say. He delights to commune with His people. And a shared meal is one of the most powerful ways to enjoy communion with someone, right? You know this to be true. After all, most first dates take place at restaurants, right? You invite someone to go eat, to enjoy a meal together, and you talk over this meal. You get to know one another over the meal. We enjoy things like dinner parties where a bunch of friends will come together and enjoy a meal with one another. Oftentimes, one of the highlights of my week is enjoying a meal in our home group where we get together with other brothers and sisters in the Lord and we feast with one another as we also study the Word of God, sing, and pray with each other. So the shared meal is wired into us. It's intrinsic to who we are. Why is it so natural to share a meal with the people you love? Because God created you this way. God has made you to enjoy feasting. He created you to commune with others and to do it around a meal. Jonathan Cruz says that feasting is a primary means of fellowship, and in worship, we feast to fellowship with God. However, there's an innate desire to feast with others in us, and that innate desire alone is not enough to reconcile us with God. So in other words, just because you want to eat with other people, just because you want to be able to share a meal is not enough to allow you to share a meal with God. Amen? So you have a craving for food, and that craving for food bears witness that you were meant to feast with God. Ultimately, the problem is that your sinful desires and just your outright sinfulness bear witness that you cannot feast with an utterly holy God as you currently sit. Since sin entered the world, our only hope for fellowship and communion with God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Communion with God must go through the cross of Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father, Christ says, except through me, right? In John 14, 6. And so we rightly call this communion meal the Lord's Supper because it is truly made possible by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is both the host of the meal and the meal itself. He is the source, the substance, and the celebration of the bread and the wine. We cannot understand the Lord's Supper apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. And so it's important to note that the Lord's Supper is not primarily about what we are doing, right? It's primarily about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. However, this doesn't mean that you are merely passive in it either. It's not as though you were being force-fed a cup and a bread uh, today, and you're just passive in receiving that. You are actively participating in the body and blood of Christ. You're active. But our activity, as we've seen throughout this worship series, our activity in worship, our activity in singing, our activity in preaching, our activity in a call to worship, our activity in all of this, but especially the Lord's Supper or baptism, is owing truly and only to the salvific work of God through His Son who died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That is how we participate. It's because God has initiated our participation. Amen? 
And so we are active, but we're only active because God was active first. He's initiated this wonderful relationship. So there's a couple of long-standing truths that I wanted to read to you about the Lord's Supper. These help provide a, a foundation, a helpful foundation for us as we think about the Lord's Supper. So first is this one. These come from uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. It says this, The supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by Him the same night He was betrayed. It is to be observed in His churches to the end of the age as a perpetual remembrance and display of the sacrifice of Himself in His death. It is given for the confirmation of the faith of believers in all the benefits of Christ's death their spiritual nourishment and growth in Him, and their further engagement in and to all the duties they owe Him. The supper is to be a bond and pledge of their communion with Christ and each other. Amen? It goes on to say, just a few paragraphs later, worthy recipients who outwardly partake of the visible elements, that is the bread and the cup, in this ordinance, also by faith inwardly receive and feed on Christ crucified and all the benefits of His death. They do so really and truly, yet not physically and bodily, but spiritually. The body and blood of Christ are not present bodily or physically in the ordinance, but spiritually to the faith of believers, just as the elements themselves are present to their outward senses. And so we want to make it plain that we are not saying that the bread and the cup are the true body and blood of Christ. This is a long-standing teaching in Catholicism. It's called transubstantiation. They believe that when the minister prays for the, uh, the bread and the wine, that it truly becomes uh, the body and the blood of Christ. But this is not what we're saying. We are saying, however, that though there are physical elements, what's true spiritually is that you are truly participating in the body which was broken on your behalf and the blood which was spilled on your behalf. You are participating spiritually in those things, and so you are therefore present with Christ. Christ is present with you as you receive the Lord's Supper. And these are really astounding truths. It helps it, honestly, it, it prevents us from observing the Lord's Supper in a, in a rote religious manner right, that would be unworthy of receiving the supper. Uh, we, it helps us acknowledge what is truly going on in the Lord's Supper. And so, again, I say, through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, hope, and love in the finished work of Jesus Christ as believers really and truly feast on Him, though the, tr- the feasting is spiritual. We will now explore uh, three aspects of the Lord's Supper, those, this faith, hope, and love. I want to talk to you about what these means. And as we do, I think that the truth we must delight in, and that is that God grants us the, the gift of feasting with Him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That we're going to see that as we go through this. And, and I hope that as the old hymn, uh, What Wondrous Love Is This, says, I hope that it causes you to, to dwell on this. In the hymn we read this, What wondrous love is this, O my soul, what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside His crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, to God and to the Lamb who is the great I am, while millions join in theme, I will sing. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing His love for me, and through eternity I'll sing on. Amen? So first, 
It is a feast of faith. First, the Lord's Supper is a feast of faith. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. It is a feast of faith because it strengthens our faith in Christ. It's strengthening our faith in Christ as we look back in faith to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So let me, let's look at these verses again. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup. He said this, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so from the mouth of Christ, we have Him saying, we we see this in the Gospels as well, not just in this letter to the Corinthians, but Christ says, do this in remembrance of me. Take this bread in remembrance of me. This is my body which is broken for you. Remember it. Take this cup, this wine, drink it in remembrance of my blood, which is spilt for you in a new covenant of grace, right? This is for you, but do it in remembrance of me. And then at the very end, Paul's just telling the the saints there at Corinth, he says, as often as you partake of this supper, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the death of the Lord in this. And so the Lord's Supper is meant to remind us of the work of Christ on the cross and strengthen our faith in Him. That's why it's right to view the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Supper as a covenant confirmation, right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Christ says. It's a direct reference to the new covenant that we have in Christ, which God makes with His people through the broken body and the spilled blood of His only Son. It's a covenant that has come to us from God through His Son, which is the second member of the Trinity. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ, and this covenant has come to us because of God's grace toward us. It's the sign of God's covenant with us. In the same way the rainbow was for Noah, in the same way the stars were for Abraham, in the same way the throne was for David. These things were meant to remind these men that uh, God had made a covenant with them. In the fellowship meal, we see that our fellowship is with God through Jesus Christ by His gracious salvation. Jonathan Cruz says this, he says, Jesus gives us bread and wine as a means of awakening our faith to the mighty work of salvation that He accomplished with His body and blood on the cross. That's what we're meant to think back, uh, that's what we're meant to think back on as we partake of this meal. That's what it means to do this in remembrance of me. The memorial aspect of the Lord's Supper helps us understand one reason why we must regularly partake of the Lord's Supper. We are spiritually weak people who are prone to forget God's mighty works of salvation on our behalf. And so a regular participation of the Lord's Supper helps us to see these wonderful truths. However, through the the regular, ordinary seemingly mundane participation in the Lord's Supper, God is graciously strengthening our faith in His salvation. It it seems mundane. It seems uh, ordinary. It seems like it's just merely a cup and a little piece of bread and that nothing more could be taking place. But what we see in the Word of God and what we see uh, throughout church history is that it is a participation 
in the body and blood of Christ Jesus spiritually. And so we're reminded of our covenant with God as we participate in it. And so in the supper, we see that God promises to graciously save sinners, even the worst of them, through the sacrifice of His Son. He gives us a way to deepen our faith in the work of Christ that, uh, that we hear when the Word is preached. And so now we respond by receiving the Lord's Supper together. And so we can never be told to remember too often, right? We're, we're so prone to forget. We're so prone uh, to think that somehow after my, my salvation, which is a work of God by His grace, that I am now meant to, by my own works, work for righteousness now. And so we, we go from a work of grace to works righteousness, and that it's by my own works that I'm going to stay in good standing with God. But what the supper reminds us of is that as we confess sins, as we repent of those sins, as we believe in and trust Christ for the forgiveness of these sins, that it's His work of grace from the beginning of salvation to the end of salvation in us that allows us to participate in such a wonderful meal. Amen? It's His work in us. And so we can never be told to remember too often because we're always forgetting. But when you see the broken bread in a moment, remember Christ's body broken for you. When you see the cup poured out, remember the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. When you smell the substance of the cup, you remember the pleasing aroma of Christ's blood sacrifice on your behalf. When you taste the bread, remember that Christ is the bread from heaven that fills every spiritual need and strengthens your sojourning. He's with you at all times. And so through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith strengthens our hope, strengthens our love, and the finished work of Jesus Christ as believers really and truly feast on Him. The second thing we see about the Lord's Supper is that it is filled with hope. It's a feast of faith, and it's filled with hope. The Lord's Supper is filled with hope as we look forward in hope for what Christ will do one day. And so in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, Paul just says explicitly, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's a looking forward to, right? The meal is meant not only to look back at the cross, not only look back at what Christ has done for you, but it's a looking forward to that wonderful day where Christ will split the heavens and the earth, He'll, he'll split wide the skies, right? And He'll descend, He'll return, and He'll establish the new heaven and the new earth. And that all His redeemed people will dwell with Him in eternity in this place. The Lord's Supper is, mere, is more than memorial, right? It's not simply just a memorial. It's not simply that we're eating and drinking in memory of Christ. It's that we're eating and drinking as we look forward and hope to what Christ will do. It's about looking forward to His coming again. In the prophecy of Isaiah in the Old Testament, the Israelites... Uh, are encouraged to look forward to a feast that will come in the new heaven and the new earth. And God extends an invitation to all those who are thirsty and hungry to eat freely from the bounty of Yahweh, which is the Lord, in Isaiah 55. A, feature, uh, a future feast will come on Yahweh's mountain, which is a reference to the new heavens and the new earth, and, and uh, Isaiah prophesies about this explicitly in, in chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, on this mountain, Yahweh will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, 
a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Isaiah continues, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Praise the Lord. And here we see the blessings of God given to his people as they share a meal in his presence in the new heaven and the new earth. Here it is that God will wipe away every tear. Here it is that God will conquer his enemies. Here it is that God will vindicate his people. Here it is, and most importantly, that we see the defeat of death once and for all. The swallowing of death is the real meal for God on that day. Death will be eaten alive, so to speak. It will exist no more. And therefore, fellowshipping with God should not just be the pinnacle of a worship service. It's not just the pinnacle of what we're trying to do in here to create a feast and to create a meal that we have with the Lord. And we walk away realizing that we are truly those, because of the work of God through Christ, we are truly those who are now feasting or fellowshipping with God. That is the pinnacle of what we're trying to do here, but we're doing that because it's the pinnacle of a life of worship. You understand it's the pinnacle of what you're hoping for. It's the pinnacle of what you're working toward as you trust Christ, as you repent of your sins and you exercise faith in Him, as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your love for others. What we're hoping for, what we're looking forward to, is a Christ who redeems us all from the fall of this world. Amen? And he places us with Him in His presence, just as He took Adam and placed him into the garden, right? I can't help, but every time I do that, to act like I'm like barely picking up these little people and moving them, right? I don't think that's how it happens, but anyway, you get the point. And so we see the blessings of God here in Isaiah 25. We see what we're looking forward to. And so when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, verse 29, he said this to his disciples. Listen to this. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Wow. So you and I are told, feast, enjoy the Lord's Supper, partake of the Lord's Supper. As often as you eat it, as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So we are to continue doing it, but we need to recognize that as we continue doing it, Christ is waiting for that day where he'll return and we'll eat it anew with him in his Father's kingdom. Incredible. He's referring to the new heavens, the new earth, that new kingdom that he's going to usher in upon his return on that last day, whenever it is. And he promises disciples, he promises you and me that he will feast with us there. We'll be present with him. In Revelation 19, verse 9, John writes this of the angel. The angel says to him, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the angel said to me, these are the true words of God. Amen. Therefore, what Old Testament Israel only knows in shadow, 
we know now in substance. What they could only see mere shadows of. They didn't yet have Christ. We know because we can see Christ and Him crucified. We know that the hope of eating with God can be attained only through Jesus Christ. Now, having been sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ, as Hebrews tells us, we can enjoy this feast of fellowship with God. Jonathan Cruz says this in his book on worship. He says, if we think the Lord's Supper is only about looking back in remembrance on the death of Christ, the sacrament will become more of a funeral than a feast. Let that sink in. If we think it's only about looking back, it becomes more of a funeral than a feast. But if we see that God is pointing us forward in faith to what is to come in the next age, we will be unable to participate with anything but joy and gladness. As we look forward to the feast that's to come, as you walk in this life where you are a sojourner, right? You recognize every single day that this world is not your home, that, that your beliefs in Christ do not line up with the world, that your beliefs in Christ, your trust in Him, your fear of Him, your awe of Him, your reverence for Him, your desire to glorify His name is contrary to everything that this world stands for. And so you recognize as you go through painful moments, as you go through difficult relationships, as you struggle in your work, as you get frustrated by life, you recognize that this cannot be all that there is to life. I'm a sojourner. I'm a sojourner. You're a sojourner. You're on your way to what Hebrews 11 calls a heavenly homeland. And by faith, by faith, you will join the Lord there. And by faith right now, you will walk as a sojourner to that day. By faith in Christ, you, will, you too will come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and participate in this. And so when you, when you take the Lord's Supper, when it's offered to you and you partake of the Lord's Supper, you need to remember You need to remember that this is a foreshadowing of that great meal to come. Uh, John Frame, old pastor, not alive anymore, um, he said this about the little bit of bread and the little thimble of wine that you partake of. He said that that it's good that we use such small representations of that meal to come because it helps us to understand that it's only small representations of the glories of heaven that we can experience on this earth, right? It's, it's just a little bit now, a little bit here, a little bit there where we see the glory of the Lord at work in this world. And it's those things that remind us that there's great glory to come, unhindered, unadulterated glory that awaits us in heaven one day. Amen? And so it helps us in our sojourning. It helps us get there. And so through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, He strengthens our hope. He strengthens our love and the finished work of Jesus Christ as His believers really and truly feast on Him. Third, we see that we are joined in love with Christ and His body. We are joined in love during the supper, during the Lord's Supper that we partake of. We're joined in love. In other words, we're united together in the bonds of Christian love with Christ as our head and the body as our brothers and sisters. Paul's repeated use of the word here, you, right? 
as often as you drink this, whenever you come together. It's plural. He's writing to a church body that's really got this thing mixed up. But, but he's given instructions to the body of Christ and to us by way of proxy. The Lord's Supper is communal. It's always been meant to be communal. It's not for you to partake of in the privacy of your home. It's not for you to gather your family around and partake of when you have a normal Lord's Day worship service where the Lord's Supper will be partaken of. Now, I'm not saying if you're a missionary in a distant country, blah, 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 right? There's all these outliers you can bring up, and we can talk about those later. But normally, it's for you to enjoy within the body, just as baptism is meant to be enjoyed among the body of believers, not in privacy in a bathtub with no one around, right? It's meant to be proclamation of your union with Christ and your union with one another. If I partake of the Lord's Supper apart from the body, how in the world can I be partaking of something that's declaring my union with the body when they have no idea that I even took it with them that day? Or they didn't take it all either, right? And so it can't be that. And he actually gets on to them for this. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty through 22, it says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Wow. It's meant to be enjoyed together. First and foremost, what I want you to know about the Lord's Supper is that we are united to our head, Jesus Christ. He's the head of the body. And, and without the head, there can be no union of the body. So we must first acknowledge Christ. And this is what Paul writes a chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians 10 as he starts to introduce this talk about the Lord's Supper. He says in, in verse 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. He's looking to the head, right? He's looking to the one who founded the church. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, and the whole structure is held together in Him. And so as we communally here partake of the bread and the cup, we spiritually partake of the Lord's body and blood. We recognize together, as we take together, that it is Him and His work that unites us. We're not united by our common, um, maybe, you know, cultural conviction that we should go to church on Sunday morning. We're not united by some common cultural conviction that we should be moral people. We're not united by some common cultural conviction that we should vote Republican or that we should vote conservative or any of the like. We are united only through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where our union rests. That's where it rests. It's on Him only. And so there might be a participation in all these other things, right? The, the, some of those things I mentioned might be part of what we're doing, but we do those because Christ is the head of the body. The body doesn't move the head. The body doesn't tell the head where to go. The head directs, the body follows. And that's what we're doing in Christ. We're following Him. Spiritually, we are truly united with Christ because of His salvation. 
Paul in Ephesians tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus, that we've been seated with him in heavenly places. Now he writes that as past tense, you are already seated with Christ in heavenly places, though you are now physically seated in a seat at New Life Community Church. Incredible what's taking place in your life spiritually. And so spiritually, you can be present with Christ, yet physically here, and that's what's happening in the Lord's Supper. Spiritually, you are being brought up to dwell with Christ, to feast with Him at His table, because He's the one that draws us. It's by faith in Him, His broken body, His spilt blood that counts as ours. His victory over sin and death is yours. His payment is credited to your account. Amen? You are saved because Christ died and rose again. And He's called you to Himself. And so in the Lord's Supper, we are spiritually united with Christ as we partake of the physical bread and the cup. And by spiritual, I mean, as one author puts it, that the Holy Spirit lifts us up, as I said a moment ago to the heavenly places to nourish our souls upon the living Christ. We're not bringing Christ down in the Lord's Supper. He brings us up to Himself. As Paul said this, he said, you are setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Colossians 3, 2-3. The truth that he's teaching there is not that they had physically died, but that they had spiritually died died and been resurrected with Christ, and they are now hidden with Him in God. Amen? And so if we're going to rightly value taking the Lord's Supper together, that is, if, we, if we're going to rightly value fellowshipping with God and with one another through this ordained meal, then we must know what is going on when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We are communing with Christ. The bread and the cup are not simply memorial tokens. When we receive them in faith, we are not receiving a memory of Christ. We are receiving Christ Himself. He is our all and all. He is everything that we need. And in the Lord's Supper, we have Him. Amen? John 6, verse 51, Jesus says this to those who came seeking more bread after He fed the 5,000. He tells them that the physical bread will never satisfy you. And he says this, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. A few verses later, he'll go on to say, if anyone eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he will have life. So again, he's not teaching uh, that you be cannibals, amen? He's not teaching that when he ordains later, just a few chapters later, when he ordains the Lord's Supper on the night he's betrayed, he's not teaching that that bread and that wine truly become his body and his blood. He's teaching that in those things, you are going to be feasting on the body and the blood of Christ, spiritually speaking. Amen? And you do that by faith. And so that we are drawn more deeply into our union with Christ, we are also strengthening our union with one another. So that was a lot on our strengthening our union with Christ. Let me talk to you for just a second about how we strengthen our union with one another. In 1 Corinthians 10, 17, again, that chapter preceding the one we're currently in, he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The Lord's Supper is the great uniting work in the church. Amen? 
That's what he's saying, that that as we partake of this, we become one body. It is our bond of love. The Spirit is at work in all of us, bonding us together in love as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Again, Jonathan Cruz is helpful. He says, we who are many become one in Christ, for we have the one Spirit. Any and all dividing differences are set aside, and we come together in solidarity under the head of the body who is Christ. We partake together as a sign of unconditional and selfless love that has been poured into our hearts by Christ and now pours forth into each other's lives. In the Lord's Supper, we learn that we cannot love Christ without loving Him in the brethren. Amen? And so as we're partaking of Him, we're learning to love Him well. We're learning to love Him more faithfully. Our love for Him is being strengthened. Our union with Him is being deepened. We're coming to a deeper understanding of how we're united with Christ Jesus. But we cannot do that apart from the body. That's why the the Apostle John says in his epistles, he says that if you do not love your brother, then the love of the Father is not in you because you cannot say that you love your father and hate your brother at the same time. And so it's untrue of us if, we have, if there's divisions in the body of Christ and we're saying that we hate our brother. We hate those who are truly His. And we say, but I love the Lord. I'm submitted to Him. John is saying, you're a liar. Amen? You're a liar if you do that. And so if we are to partake, if we are to partake of the meal in a selfish way, which would be to disregard the body altogether, to say that this meal is for my nourishment, this meal is for me and for me alone. This is, this is my moment with the Lord here. If we're to do it in a selfish way, just as the Corinthians were doing, then we haven't really partaken of the Lord's Supper. You're forgetting one of the most important elements, and that is that it is a communal meal. Amen? Through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, hope, and love in the finished work of Jesus Christ as believers truly and really feast on Him. Let me talk to you about this final point, feasting in the wilderness. Feasting in the wilderness. Finally, the Lord's Supper reminds us that God is capable of providing for all of our needs as we feast in the wilderness. Again, this is a a note on your sojourning, right? You, you, You are like those Israelites who wandered out as they left Egypt, who wandered in the wilderness, You recognize this world is not your home, right? And so this meal is offered to you as a feast in the wilderness, just as manna fell from heaven for them. As Christ reminds us to take the bread and the cup in remembrance of Him, we not only remember His spiritual work for us and His gracious salvation, we must remember that He is with us always, that He's with us. And so as we feast on Him spiritually, we recognize we're preaching the truth to ourselves. We're, we're remembering Christ and Him crucified, and we're recalling that hope we have that He's going to come again, that we have another home that we're destined for, and He's going to collect His people on that day. And all who are not His people will be sent to hell eternal. And all who are His people, all who are hiding themselves in Christ by faith in the finished work of the Son of God on the cross will be called to dwell with the Lord eternally in life. Amen? Cruz says this about this feasting and the wondering. He says, this is what we get in the Lord's Supper. God sustaining our weak faith through our wilderness wondering, sustaining us on our journey from here to the true promised land. 
The point is this, in the communing aspect of worship, God strengthens our faith by giving us a taste of that future promise of eternal fellowship with Him. And again, it's like the frame quote, right? Why do we take just a a small amount of the cup? Why do we take just a little bitty bit of bread? It's to remind us that anything in this life is is but a breadcrumb, so to speak, for what's coming in glory. Amen? Anything we get here is just a, a shadow of the substance that we'll see there. So because the Lord's Supper is such a tremendous reminder of God's gracious work of salvation, it's a tremendous reminder of the future coming of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb that's still to be had. It's a tremendous reminder of our union with Christ and with His people. And so we must partake, as those who are sojourning, we must partake in a worthy manner. This is the final point that Paul makes here in 1 Corinthians 11, 27-29. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so you have to examine your life. Am I living in step with the commands of God as one who proclaims to have faith in Christ Jesus. Am I an obedient Christian? Again, this doesn't mean perfection. You know, there are many who will say that if, well, maybe they don't say it explicitly, but implicitly it's implied at times that if your life isn't all together today, you should not partake of the Lord's Supper. But I'm here to tell you that that's not good news, and the supper is meant to be good news for you. It's meant to be good news for Christians, that it is Christ and Him crucified that is your only hope. Amen? It's Christ and Him crucified that's your only hope of the forgiveness of sins. It's your only hope of living presently in holiness is to trust in Him as you repent of your sins. I'm not saying we just ignore sin, not at all. Alan read the verse earlier, right? Grace doesn't abound so that we can go on sinning. Grace abounds so that we can know we can always come to Christ in our sins and be forgiven. Grace abounds so that we will have the strength to overcome sins. Grace abounds so that we too can walk into glory one day and hear from the Lord Himself, well done. But it's not because you were amazing in some way. It's not because you figured out some way to hold yourself up by your own might. It's not because you figured out some way to clean yourself up before the Lord. It will only be because you have hidden yourself in Christ Jesus. That's it. And so when you partake of the Lord's Supper, it's you acknowledging, on my own, I am destined for hell. And so I eat and I drink today in faith in Christ and His finished work that that's my only hope of salvation. This is my only hope of seeing Christ in glory one day. It's not the supper itself. It's the faith in Christ that the supper signifies. Amen? The Lord's Supper is for truly repentant sinners. Examine yourselves, lest you take in an unworthy manner. It's for truly repentant sinners who are clinging to the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ and His cross. And so before we prepare to partake today, I encourage you to repent of any sins that that are on your mind, 
Anything that you think of when I say that we should be a repenting people, anything that the Lord brings by the power of His Spirit to your memory from this week or from this morning or from the last year that you harbored and that you've tried to hide and that you're trying to keep away from everyone else, confess it to the Lord. Present yourself to Him as unworthy and receive the righteousness of Christ as your very own today. And then you can eat and drink in a worthy manner, just as the supper was intended. Repent, believe, and enjoy the Lord's Supper today. Again, I'll tell you, the Lord's Supper, through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, hope, and love, and the finished work of Jesus Christ as believers really and truly feast on Him. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet, invite the worship team to come this morning. As they're coming, I have just a couple of instructions as they're preparing everything. Uh, I want you to know this about the Lord's Supper here at New Life. We practice what we call close communion, right? And what this means is as long as you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ and you are in good standing with your local church elders, then we invite you to participate today. So if you're not a member here, what we're saying is we invite you to participate today if you meet those two qualifications of eating and drinking in a worthy manner. Uh, the ushers are going to pass out the elements um, as the team plays here in just a second. As you take those, though, I want you to spend time in prayer. I want you to prepare your heart through confession, repentance, faith, thanksgiving even. Maybe you say today, well, I don't have much to, can't think of anything necessarily to repent of. Give thanks to the Lord today for the broken body and blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's sing together. As they're singing again, pray, prepare your heart, and then I'll be back up with further instructions in just a moment.